Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, I trust you have your Bibles this morning. If you do, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning, we're going to try and get through one message this morning. We're going to try and just introduce an idea to us as we get ready for some of the messages that are coming. As you're turning to Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, this is one of those days, it's just one of those Sundays, you know, um, so I'm listening carefully to the Spirit to say what He wants me to say. Amen. You, you know that, y'all, y'all may not be aware of this, but do you know that every now and then a preacher says something that God didn't want him to say? <laughs> Did y'all know that every now and then we open our mouth and speak before we think? Did y'all know that? <laughs> we do. <laughs> we don't like to admit it sometimes. But there's no greater challenge than relying upon the Holy Spirit of God, realizing that when we, a true man of God, realizing that when, when he stands up here and opens the Word of God and speaks to God's people, The only thing that we should desire is to speak on God's behalf and that we're preaching not just to you but to us. In fact, if you've ever heard a preacher say this before, you're getting it once. We've been getting it all week long. Amen. We've been preparing it. The Lord's been working in our hearts and lives and sometimes even longer than that. But I just feel a weight this morning because here's what I believe. Here's what I'm convinced of and and, 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 and I'm just, I'm more convinced of it. If, If I didn't have the problems I had this week, you talked about you had a rough week this week. You're not alone, brother. Amen. You know, uh, we've been there. We've all, we've all been there, had those days and, and those weeks and sometimes those extended period of times. Here, here's what would worry me. If everything was going well, that would, that would worry me. Because when things start to go wrong, when things start to struggle, and you start to know, especially when you know it's the devil working against you, that usually means you're doing something right. And so there are days, as much as I hate those days when I feel the spiritual warfare, I rejoice in them because I know that the devil is trying to do what he can't do, and that is stop the power of God and the will of God from being done. Amen. And so I am encouraged and I am excited for you, and I am convinced this week more than ever that God is going to do something great at First Baptist Church of Mableton. And, and, and I'm just excited I get to be a part of it for a little while and walk with you through this journey. And, and, I, and I want to pray, and, 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 and I, I'm struggling with this. This is a separate note. I still feel like I don't know y'all well enough. So feel free to corner me. You know, if you see me kind of like trying to make an escape, feel free to block the doors and say, no, we want to get to know you, Pastor Ian. Amen. Just, just feel free to do that. Amen. And so then, and, and I'll stop, and I promise you, I'll, I'll actually stop. And, I'll, and, and, and I can take a hint. Amen. And, uh, but I just want to get to know you more. And we're going to have opportunities to do that in, in coming days and the listening sessions and things we're scheduling. But I am praying for you, and I'm going to continue to pray for you. And, uh, and this morning, I just feel, I, I just want us to be free. And, 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 I, and I want to say something. I, I was torn, should I say it out loud? I was talking to the Lord down there. And, and, and there's just sometimes when I just feel like you just need to say out loud. Sometimes you talk to the Lord, and, and, and he hears, he knows, he'll handle it. You say, Lord, take care of this. He says, I got it. Sometimes he wants us to say it out loud because... He wants the devil to hear us. He wants the demons to hear us. And so can I just go ahead and just say out loud, just not, not necessarily for our, for maybe for our benefit too, but for the benefit of the ones who are trying to weigh us down, who think that they can stop the will of God, can I just go ahead and tell the devil this morning, just go ahead and back off. Just back off. This church belongs to God. You can't have it. 
Amen. So I want to I want to look this morning in Deuteronomy chapter six and. Um, and, and I want to think about this thought. How many, I think I mentioned this a couple, a couple weeks ago. How many of you have ever done the study, uh, the Henry Blackaby study, Experiencing God? How many of you have done that Bible study? Raise them up real high where I can see you. So a few of you have done that. Anybody ever just read the book? They actually have a book. Anybody read the book? Okay. Uh, if, you're ever, if you're interested in doing that, you let me know. I, we can set up a time. We'd love to teach that. It's a great Bible study. It's a great home Bible study. I highly recommend it. And what I want to talk about this morning very quickly are the realities of experiencing God. I want to take some of what Henry Blackaby learned in his ministry and shared with his church and the great work that he did and God did through him when they were in Canada and kind of think about how that can affect us where we are right here in Mableton, Georgia. So with all that being said, and, uh, and, uh, and, and the air sort of being cleared, uh, and you're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, amen? I did tell you to turn there, didn't I? All right, and you did actually turn there, didn't you? All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6, amen. Let's take a look at a couple of different verses. And Deuteronomy is, 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 is one of those books where it, it's the law of God, it, it, and it has stuff in there about, about the writing and Moses and the writing of the law, but it also goes back and tells a little bit more of the story in Exodus. It revisits some things. Deuteronomy is sort of the summary book, Genesis, Exodus. You have the story of Israel and God calling them out and Abraham and Isaac and, and Moses and all of the deliverance, everything that happened there. Then when you get into uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you get into the law, Leviticus and Numbers being the two harder books to read because it's just the law and the history given by tribes. When you get into Deuteronomy, you get a great blend of the law and history. And when you study the book of Deuteronomy, and if, and if you're going to study one of the five books of the Pentateuch, Pentateuch start, you exit, uh, Genesis is great, first couple of chapters, and the first 15 chapters you get a bunch of history. But if you really want to study and understand how the law works in line with God's will, working grace and God revealing his will and the people that he's called and chosen to lead his people. Deuteronomy is an excellent book to study. And it's not hard to study. It's not overly filled with, with, with the law and legal terms. And when it does give you those passages in the law, you have the history behind it and why God told them and us to, to live a certain way. Does all that make sense? Amen? And so Deuteronomy is a great book to study. So I want to jump in at Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, and, and we're going to start in verse 1. And uh, we may, we, it's only 25 verses, we may read all of them, we'll just we'll jump around here and see, and then I'll share the outline briefly with you this morning, but Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1 says, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you go to possess it. And I just pause and say, you notice at the beginning there, the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, and depending on what translation you have, you may have three slightly different words. But do you realize there's a difference between a command, a statute, and a judgment? You realize that in the Bible, God gives his word, he gives his law. There are some things that he gives for instructional purposes, other things he gives as an ordinance, other things that he gives uh, as a commandment. But, but no matter how he words them or gives them or how they're presented to us, whether it's a direct command, whether it's a statute or a principle for living our life or a judgment. Uh, and, and by the way, when you read that word judgment, it means sometimes God writes for us in his word what he wants us to do, but he gives it to us by showing to us what will happen if we don't do it hence the judgment part amen in other words God doesn't say don't do this God just says if you do this this is what's going to happen and a smart person goes we shouldn't do that then amen you with me and, and so when he says that when he says the commands the statutes and the and the judgments he says commanded to teach you that you might do them not just know them but that you might 
outdo them in the land that you're going to possess so that you might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that your days may be prolonged. So do his word, fear the Lord, hear Israel and observe to do it that it may be well with you and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you'll recognize this. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. And you will teach them diligently unto your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You will bind them for a sign upon your hand and they will be as frontlets between your eyes. You will write them upon the posts of your house and your gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God has brought thee into the land which he swear unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which you built not, houses full of all good things which you didn't fill, Wells digged which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees which you didn't plant. When you shall have eaten and be full, beware, lest you forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and swear by his name. You will not go after other gods or the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa, but you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. You begin to see the pattern that you teach. You learn this and you teach it your children. They teach it their children. You remember these things. Remember these things. Keep these things in mind. Live in a constant fear of God. Not a trembling, frightening fear, but an awe and a reverence for a holy God, the one true God. There is only one God, the Lord God Almighty, who made Almighty, who made the heavens and the earth. And it's Him that we worship. It's Him that we love. It's Him that we adore. It's Him and it's Him alone. And we pass that on to our children and we're careful, careful that we don't wind up worshiping the gods of the people around us, that we don't fall out of love with God and into love with the world. And and, and that's such a horribly inaccurate statement. Let me say it this way, because I don't think you fall in and out of love. I think we really think we choose who and what we love. And the danger of the Bible, God says, is that we'll look at this world and become more fascinated with it because we can see it and feel it and sense it in some degree more than God, and we'll choose to love this world more than we love Him. He says, don't let that. Beware. When you go into the land full of all the blessings and all these things that I'm going to give you that you didn't plant, you didn't earn, you didn't build, it's just going to be there, and I'm going to let you have a part in it. I'm going to give it to you. And, and, and none of it came by your hand. It all came by mine. He says, don't get in there in the midst of all that blessing and somehow think that you're entitled to that blessing or that the blessing is greater than the one who gives the blessing. That's why I love that song on the radio right now. And I can't, it just came to me. I kind of remember it. it says, I would rather have the healer more than the healing. I would, I would rather have the giver more than the, than the giving. And you might recognize the song. To, to, to know Christ and God more than 
the benefits of knowing Christ and God. So do right, he says, do right, do right, cast out your enemies. And so if you jump down to verse 20. When your son asks thee in the time to come, saying, What means the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? What is the meaning of all this? Then you will say unto your son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. That he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Beautiful passage. The day comes when your children say and ask you, where where did all these blessings come from? And God says, make sure you tell them that the blessings came from me. Make sure you tell them how you were once in bondage, but God delivered you. And why is that important? Because if we ever forget what it means to be delivered from bondage, then we run the risk of our children growing up in a generation where they're in bondage and they don't even know it. And, and maybe worse, when our children are in bondage and we don't even know it. And so, and so God is warning the Egyptians, warning the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6 of how he brought them out of Egypt and how he brought them out of bondage and everything he did for them and how he wants to bless them. And so I want to say this quickly and then we're going to look at the outline very quickly, very simply this morning. Think fast and write fast, amen? But, but, but we need to remember who our God is now more than ever. In this day and age, when, when, when the name of God is thrown around with such ease, when, when someone can receive an award for writing one of the most filthy, vile pieces of music or, or a movie or a book and then dare to stand up and, and take that award and say, I want to thank God and, 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 and wondering and knowing that only by the grace of God that he doesn't just strike them dead. Amen. And, and we see this. We see we put the name of God on so much without knowing who our God is. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this sort of summary chapter, which highlights the importance of being faithful to God, not just for our generation, but for the generation to come, God is warning us about what to avoid and how to trust him and make sure that we know him. So let me give you a couple of things. Let me give you three things quickly, and then we'll look at the seven realities. If you look at the Old Testament, whenever God was moving... Whenever God was going to do something great, and, and, and even in the New Testament, it carries over, but it's, it seems to be more obvious in the Old Testament, because in the, New Test, in the Old Testament, it was a king, it was a prophet. But in the New Testament, remember, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, remember the Bible says that he has made us a nation of kings and priests. So where you had one man who kind of rose up and had a, a genealogy or a family line that lifted him into a position of prominence and one person became the king and, and it's easier to highlight that and magnify that, we're living in a day when if you're a child of God, then, then you are a, you're a son or a daughter of God, then you are a king or queen before Almighty God. 
We're living in a day when if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have all the power and all the authority of an Old Testament prophet, priest, or king to stand and represent, this, uh, represent Christ before a lost and dying world. And so when we look at the Old Testament, it's magnified because we see one person. But we forget the fact that the principle doesn't change. The principle doesn't change in these three ways. Number one, we understand that when God speaks, He speaks in such a way that we know that it is God who is speaking. Thus saith the Lord. Man, where's that old-fashioned kind of preaching day? I, yeah, I grew up on preachers who said that it ain't preaching if you don't start by saying, Thus saith the Lord. Well, you got to be careful because there's preachers today who will stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. But what they're saying, ain't, you can't find it in that book. Amen? You want to know how some preacher's saying what the Lord wants him to say? You, you read it for yourself. Amen? You follow along. You check it out. You pray over it. You make sure. And then you hold the, you hold the feet to the fire of those men and women that we look at and listen to and read their Bible studies and listen to their podcasts when they claim to be representing God. You want to know? Look in the Word of God because you'll find in the Word of God for yourself where it says, Thus saith the Lord. Amen? God has spoken in such a way that we can know that it's him who's speaking. Number two, not only, did we know, not only did they know when it was God who was speaking, and we can know when God is speaking, but they knew what God was saying. Old preacher said God has spoken, and he did not stutter. <laughs> Amen. God makes his word plain, readable, accessible. The only reason for not knowing the will of God is not wanting to know the will of God. Amen and oh me. The only reason for not knowing what God has said is not opening his word and reading it for ourselves. Amen? You see, they, they knew that when God spoke, it was God speaking. And number two, they knew what God was saying. And then this is important. Number three, they knew what to do in response to what God was saying. They knew what to do. Jesus, whenever he preached, whenever he taught, he Read this in the Gospels. Look at it for yourself. Whenever he gave a parable, whenever he taught, whenever he did something, worked a miracle, if you look at the end of that miracle, he always left an understanding of what that meant and what they were supposed to do with what had just happened. Amen. He never did anything and left them going, now why did he do that? What does that mean? No, the explanation's there. You just have to look and study it and let God speak to you about it. Amen. And so that's, that's the Old Testament, but it's also true in the New Testament. And so with that in mind, Henry Blackaby did a study on the life of Moses, and he looked at how God moved in the life of Moses, and he came up with his study on what he called the experience in God, the seven realities of experience of God, seven ways we can look at how God works and moves in the life of those people that he chooses. And I want to say this, and make sure you hear this, when we're talking about experiencing God, we're not talking about the preacher experiencing God, we're not talking about a uh, someone who's called to be a professional or a full-time Bible teacher experiencing God. We're talking about every individual child of God having an experience with God. That first of all, you have a personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And then number two, whatever God wants you to do, you know what it is and you're willing to do it. Amen? Everybody with me so far? All right, here they are very quickly. Number one, here's what you need to realize. Here's what I need to realize. Here's what we need to realize. Number one, God is always at work around us. 
God is always at work around us. When you look at the world, you, you, you and I as Christians can never look at this world and say, well, I just don't see what God is doing. Well, either number one, we're not looking hard enough, or, or number two, we've forgotten the fact that even when God hadn't showed us yet what he's doing, uh, we've thought that that doesn't mean that he's not doing anything. Did I say that where that made sense? I'm going to say it again just in case. <laughs> When you look and I look around and we think that it doesn't look like God is moving, we just need to realize it's either because we don't see it or he, he hasn't shown us yet, but it never means he's not at work. God is always at work in this world. Amen? God is always working. God is moving in the worst of situations. And, and, and you and I had better know that and believe that when we look at the wickedness and the, foul, the foulness and the vileness of this world. We have got to know that, that, that God is always working around us. And then number two, while God is working around us, he is pursuing a continuing love relationship with you and with me that is real and personal. He is always pursuing an extension of that relationship that he has with us. A love, I love that, a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. The relationship that you have with God, in fact, it ought to be more real and personal than the relationship you have with your spouse, with your children with your parents. The relationship you have with God ought to be as intimate and as significant and, and, as, and as real as any other relationship you have and even more so because he's almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. Amen? And he pursues that. He's, everything he's doing in your life, everything that he's doing, what he's doing right here, right now, what God, I can guarantee this because I know the Bible. What God is doing at First Baptist Church Middleton right now as you're in between pastors and, and praying and going through this process is he's preparing this church and every member of this church so that when God delivers his man to stand behind the pulpit, the relationships that come out of that are more real, more personal, and more deeply loving than they've ever been. That, that you experience God moving forward in your life as a member of this church and eventually if he ever leads you to another church so that you have a relationship with him that stays with you and goes with you and it's so exciting and challenging that when other people see it, they want to know what it is and they want to be a part of it. Beloved, I, I've said, and I'm still striving for this, I'm going to preach this until Jesus comes back or he calls me home or whatever. I'm, 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 pre I'm, pre I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to me too. Amen. I want to reach the point where I, I just want to reach the point where more in my life, I don't have to start the conversation about God, but where other people see something in me that they start the conversation. And I want that to be the, the mark of my life, that by the time I go to be with God, amen, here's what you can guarantee. Here's what you can guarantee. When somebody met Billy Graham, they knew who he was and who he stood for. Amen? They knew who he served and who he represented. And you can guarantee that that man got more questions about God maybe than anybody else in his generation. Amen? I know he got more than me. You have a conversation with me, you know what you're going to find out I like, especially this time of year? Football. <laughs> College football. Amen? And, and it's too easy. And, and man, Pastor Ian, he really loves football. I want to reach the point where, where people know that, yeah, Pastor Ian really loves football, but I want him to say, but man, he really loves Jesus. And, and for all of us to reach that point in our life where that, that relationship, that love relationship that's real and personal, where no matter what we love in this world, they know that we don't love it more than we love God. Amen. He's always at work around us. He's pursuing that relationship. Number three, God invites us to become involved with him in his work. 
He's always at work around us. And so he invites us to become involved with him in his work. God wants us to work. But he wants us to work with him, not against him. And do you realize? Maybe you've never thought about this before. But it's possible as a child of God. It's possible as a church to actually work against God. When we implement principles and practices that aren't in line with the word of God, that aren't reflected by the character of Christ, do you really think, oh, I'm going I'm to preach now. I hope you still love me when I'm done. Do, do, do you think that the world really sees God and is drawn to God and we're representing Christ faithfully when they look in the church and they see more of bitterness more of division and more of malice and more of anger than they see of love, mercy, grace, goodness, kindness. There's a reason why the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. 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 I got to move on. Are we all going to be in trouble? Self-control. Just walking in an attitude that shows the world who God is. God invites us to become involved with him in his work. And, and, and every church is going to be different. Every individual Christian it's going to be different. But the goals are going to be ultimately be the same, bringing people into the place where they have that love relationship and we're in line with the word of God and the will of God. And and it's going to express itself in different ways, but the end result is when we're doing it right, we're going to be more at work with God than we are against him. It's just that easy. And it's just that hard. And it's one of the hardest things a church or a Christian will ever do is take something that we have held so sacred for so long. Well, I've been doing this for 5, 10, 15. I've been doing this for my whole life. And God is showing you, yeah, but you shouldn't have been doing it that way. Or, or, or it's time to do it this way. And, and we, we have such a hard time because we're so convinced that if we change something, we, we think people are going to look at us poorly. And we shouldn't care as much about how people look at us as how they look at God. And the devil will use that to keep us from going to work with God. And he'll keep us doing and working in the church in some of the most foolish, stubborn, self-centered ways because we're so afraid of how we're going to look. And the Holy Spirit's got to break us of that, beloved, and bring us to the place where we want the world to see that God is at work and we're working with him. Amen? I'll give you this one quickly. I didn't want to get stuck on that. Boy, the Spirit's just... Paul wrote and said, God forbid, Paul, Paul, the man who wrote most of the New Testament, the strong Christian, the one we look at all his life, and, and who, who, by the way, if you read all his letters, also told you, told us repeatedly just how bad a man he was. Paul said, God forbid that I ever live in such a way as a Christian that I give the enemies of God a reason to blaspheme God. God forbid that I live in such a way that when people look at God and shake their fist at him, and make no mistake about it, those people who want to shake their fist at God, they're going to do it with a good reason or a bad one. But Paul said, I don't want to be one of those bad reasons. Amen? I don't want to live a life so that when people say no to God, they say no to God because they're looking at what I call Christianity. 
Amen? And oh me? Y'all ready to move on? I am. Amen? God is always at work around us. Number four. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer and circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. That's a mouthful. That's a sermon in itself, so we're not going to stay long there. The point is very simple. God speaks by the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what God is saying, you really want to know his will, the first thing you have to know is that you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and that only happens when you accept Christ as your, as your Savior. That only happens when you become a child of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives in me because I trusted Christ when I was a little boy. He came and, and he lived in me and he's been with me ever since. And there's been days when he's fought me and I've fought him. And I can tell you that he wins every time. Amen. But God speaks through his Holy Spirit. And, and, and it's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us the Word of God. When you open the Bible, the Holy Spirit gives us the insight and the understanding to know it. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to look at the circumstances in our life and see how God is moving. And this is one of the most important ones I want to hit on. It says, and the church, and the church. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals to us how beautiful and powerful and wonderful a thing is that, 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 that the New Testament calls the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. You cannot ever fully faithfully serve God the way he wants you to if you separate yourself from the church of God. You cannot do it. And, 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 and by the way, you have to read, the, I'm not giving you a lot of verses to go with this. You, you're just going to have to open the Bible and read it yourself. I dare you, I dare you to read the New Testament and come back to me and show me one place where God says that as a child of God, you don't need the church. You won't find it. Amen. To reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Number five, number five. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. That is the one that stuck with me when I first did this study. It stuck with me ever since. It's what Henry Blackaby called in that little phrase in there, a crisis of belief. A crisis of belief that requires faith and action. In other words, when you see how God is working and you get into his word and you begin to look at these things and you begin to learn and grow, you and I as the children of God, as individuals and as a church are going to come to the place where we're going to have to ask ourselves the question, am I going to continue to do it my way or am I going to change what I need to change to do it God's way? That's a crisis of belief. Do you want to know why there are so many Christians justifying sin in their lives today and trying to hide it under the banner of grace it's because they came to that crisis of belief and they chose to keep living the way they want to live and dishonor God and disobey the word of God rather than join him on a path of righteousness and holiness and growth and work and service and joy and victory and a hundred other things I'll give you this one and then we'll move on crisis of belief the Bible hasn't changed since it's been written. And it still says, it still defines very clearly, very clearly, what God recognizes as biblical marriage. I don't need a politician to tell me what marriage is. The Word of God has already defined that for me. And I don't need a politician and I don't need a teacher or anybody else to tell me that it's okay if two people aren't married to engage in certain physical activities when the Word of God says very clearly 
that that is a sin. Amen? I don't need that. A crisis of belief. You have people who live in church and go to church, and and you have pastors standing behind the pulpit who have things in their life that they continue to do, and they would say they, they either try and hide it under the banner of grace, or they say, well, that's okay. God loves me anyways, or God made me this way, or whatever excuse they have. But in order to do that, they have to deny the writings and the Word of God. And it's a crisis of belief. And it's going to be, and I'm telling you, beloved, we're living in a day when churches are going to have to make the hard decisions. What are we going to believe about the sanctity of human life? What are we going to believe about the sanctity of marriage? What are we going to believe? And you're going to go through that. You're going to go through that in this search process. And as God brings the new man into you to be your pastor, First Baptist Church of Maybelline is going to have to decide what are we going to believe about those things in order to change this world. And be faithful to the God who made us here. Because you can count on this. You can count on this. One of two things will happen. When a church ultimately reaches that massive crisis of belief and decides ultimately to walk away from the word of God, and there are churches doing it all the time, that eventually one of two things will happen. By God's grace, he'll let that church just keep going on, doing whatever it wants to do. And and the Bible says everyone who looks at that church and this is what he said of israel will see it as a as a byword as a proverb as a as a thing that used to be this but now it's turned into this and the worst case scenario is eventually god will just remove all his power all his resources and close the door down and 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 beloved i drive through the country all the time i drive through i drive past more churches with for sale signs on them than i want to count I've driven past more churches that used to be a place that were gospel lighthouses where people were getting saved every week and the glory of God was working. But somewhere along the way, that church made a choice to work against God and against the word of God. And that church, the doors are closed to this day. And I don't ever want that to happen, First Baptist Church of Mapleton. I don't think you do either. Amen? But when we talk about a crisis of belief that requires faith and action, you're going to have to believe. You're going to have to believe. You and I are going to have to believe that what God says is more important and greater than what the world says. Amen? That's tough. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. (laughs) All right, God. This is what you said in your word. This is how I've been doing it. This is how I need to do it. And and then this is what we say to God. Yes, but God, do you realize how hard that's going to be? (laughs) God says, yep. And you still have to choose. Amen. Can you imagine what it was like for the Israelites when they reached the edge of the Red Sea? And all they saw was water. And the Egyptian army is pressing up behind them. And if you know the story... I don't, I don't like the movies because in the movies, and then the waters part. Now, read your Bible. The Bible says that in the evening, Moses stood and lifted up the rod of God by night. And over the course of the evening, God brought a mighty wind that pushed the waters of the Red Sea back. So that, and if you read your Bible, in the morning, when they looked, the night before was all water. But in the morning, dry land and a wall of water on either side. And then they had a choice. Stand here and wait for the Egyptian army or walk through. Amen. And they walked through. 
And when they got to the other side, the Egyptian army went after them. And then, in a moment, the waters collapsed in upon and wiped out the Egyptian army. And the Israelites stood on this, and they'd been delivered by God. They're ready to enter the promised land. Beloved, it didn't take them, <laughs> it didn't take them a week before they started thinking about the good old days when they were in slavery back in Egypt. Amen? Oh, me. <laughs> Major adjustments. And then here's the last thing. You will come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. You will personally, individually, that relationship he wants to have with you. I think one of the saddest things is, and I say this and I'll try and say this quickly. One of the saddest things is, is when you have people in the church and God is moving their lives and they're following the Lord and they're staying in the church, but maybe the church isn't going in that direction. And then one of two things happen. A church member will stay in that church and, and they'll be burdened and heavy hearted by the fact that they're trying to serve God and they want to be in a church that serves God, but the church doesn't, the leadership doesn't, the church is going the wrong way. And, and then the other thing is when you've got people in the church who want to serve God and, and the church isn't going in that right direction, and so God takes and he moves those people out of the church. But the reality is this, whether you stay or whether you go, wherever you go, whatever you do, you will come to know God as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. And there are going to be times when that work will keep you in a church and there are going to be times when that work will move you to a different place of service. And that may be harder sometimes than any. If you feel, I, I had the privilege of being one of those, I didn't grow up in a, in, in, in a church. I had one church that I was in, I grew up in, I went in the army and that was it. But I never had a home church. I didn't live in one place my whole life. I, I, I've never been a member of a church for 20 or 30 years. I don't know what it's like for God to say, all right, it's time to move. <laughs> But I know for those people who've been there that it's not easy. Especially when God says, hey, guess what? I, I, I think I could use you better on the mission field. What, Lord? Yeah, the mission field. Which one, Alabama? <laughs> no, no, the real mission field. Another country, another culture. When you and I surrender to God, you and I are only limited you and I are only limited by what we are willing to surrender to God and let him do in our lives. Amen. See, the problem isn't that the power of God is lacking in our lives. If there's a problem, it's with our obedience, our surrender, our desire. Amen. Everybody still with me this morning? This part where I usually go, everybody still love Pastor Ian, but really what I want to say, are you sensing how, are you, amen, <laughs> love you too, my buddy, and, 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 and are we sensing, beloved, are we sensing how much more, how much desperately more we need to be in love with our God and with Jesus Christ? And that's when we really experience God. And that's when what we read in Deuteronomy 6. And go back and read that on your own. Read it several times this week. Let that be your devotional this week. Just read it every day. Read Deuteronomy 6. When we're who we need to be, then we can have the confidence that our children and their children and their children will have all the hope and all the promises of being the people that God wants them to be. Amen? And when all else fails, and I said this, I said this years ago, and I'll say this to you, and then I'll close in prayer. Some of the choices I make, I don't make for me. 
Because if I were to make that choice, I wouldn't make it for me. I'd give in to the sin. I'd give in to the world. I'd give in to the culture. Some of the choices I make, I make because I want to leave a legacy for my son where he can walk with God, where he can be a Moses or a Joshua or a Paul far more than I ever could. You see, there are choices I make not for me but for him. Not for my generation, but the generation to come and beyond that. And maybe that's the thing that needs to get us to the altar and to the places in our life where God wants us to be. Amen? So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.